0: Hello and welcome to Guiding Assets, the flagship investment podcast for CFA Institute. I'm Mike Wahlberg, and today we're featuring another interview from CFA Institute's recent Asset and Risk Allocation Summit. In a moment, you'll hear Andres Vinelli in conversation with Ilko Fiole, CFA, about FTX, Terra Luna, the evolution of crypto governance and regulation, and more. Ilko is co-founder and managing partner of Alpha Governance Partners, which is focused on governance for sustainable, global, digital investment management, as an aside, if you ever feel like giving yourself an inferiority complex, have a look at Ilko's LinkedIn profile. He boasts a PhD in economics, plus no fewer than six master's degrees in at least three languages. So candidly, I'm, I'm kind of glad we had the big guns out on this one with CFA Institute's Chief Economist Andres Vanelli returning to conduct the interview on site in Washington back in early May. Enjoy the conversation.
1: Hello, Ilko. Uh, thank you for being with us today. Um, your specialty is corporate governance, advising both investors and companies on how to do better. Yeah. Um, let me start uh, by asking about uh, crypto failures in the last year or so, FTX, Terra Luna. Yeah. What, if anything, could have been done better in the governance realm to avoid those uh, yeah. crises? Yeah. yeah, let me start with FTX, because uh, most recent.
2: So I've seen, when I looked at it, I, th- uh, I saw three big governance lapses. In FTX, um, which are not necessarily crypto related, which is also an interesting thing. The first one is that there was absolutely no fiduciary thinking within the FTX structure. The idea that you work with other people's money and as a result you under, underlie fiduciary duty, something that in the regular investment field we know very well, is, uh, is something which was completely lacking. As a result, no controls, no governance uh, and so on. So the, the idea that so much money was being processed without any uh, fiduciary thought. The second, the second lapse that I've seen is that uh, there was no formal board until very late into FTX, and as a result, also no uh, no controls, um, and uh, and so the executive management just uh, could do whatever they want without any sparring, and also without any uh, checks and balances. Um, The third uh, thing at FTX that struck me was that if you look at the structure, uh, I think this was a a group of of companies of over 130 entities. And so you almost have to ask yourself, what was the intent? Uh, Because uh, 130 entities is almost ungovernable, let's say with such a small uh, group of people. Uh, So what was the intent behind that? Anybody who runs a large organization Understands that all those entities need maintenance. They need uh, management. They need administration uh, There are liabilities in there uh, and so on and so forth. So um, uh, this, These are certainly the three biggest
1: uh, lapses there. It sounds the last one sounds like poor corporate governance was a feature not, not a bug. Yeah, perhaps right? yeah,
2: Yeah, I've seen a comment uh, that an investor had asked for governance at FTX and uh, that there was uh, some rude comment coming back from FTX about this, that they didn't want to have it. Um, Maybe didn't want to give up control over what was going on. In Terra Luna, the Terra disaster was also interesting. Um, I haven't looked as deep into it as with FTX, but what is striking to me is that um, Terra ran an algorithmic stablecoin. Now, this sounds complicated, but I will say this. Um, if, if you run a synthetic exposure, okay, and we know this in the investment field already from uh, people running derivative strategies, uh, complicated hedge funds, uh, synthetic ETFs, uh, all kinds of exposures, then we already have experience uh, in the field with things like liquidity risk, uh, collateral issues, and so on. Uh, in these situations, and so if you run a stablecoin which is backed by an algorithm, similar to what in my mind to a synthetic exposure, uh, you need to get this these, this risk oversight, let's say, in place. You know to understand how this runs if you get into trouble. Now, uh, I would ask the question: that Did Terra have uh, this kind of capabilities in their management and in their board? My assumption here is that they did not. Now. Um, the, the answer that you know regulation may not have uh, required that, I think that if you are a serious player in this space, i.e., in the blockchain and crypto space, uh, irrespective of the presence of regulation, you should think about yourself what do you do to project trust to your investors, uh, to your counterparties, and users of platforms? And so, um, that governance element, uh, putting this in place was of course the task of, uh, of management in the first place, uh, which was, was lacking. If I would be a regulator of that uh, jurisdiction where this happened, and the same goes for FTX around Bahamas, um, I would really scratch my head and say, okay, in the absence of regulation, could we, could we have done more? Uh, should we have done more, uh, particularly in this field? So it is, again, this is not necessarily a crypto thing. This is a governance lapse. Uh, in my mind. Now, in order to judge the risks in the entities, of course, uh, people who, who actually exercise governance need to understand what they're looking at. So we're going to maybe speak about risks in this space later on. But uh, we've got the, the well-known risk, liquidity, collateral, what have you. Uh, but there are also some uh, crypto-native risks which we need to be aware of.
1: Interesting. Uh, perhaps a charitable view of what happened uh, is that every sector, perhaps every profession at the beginning. It's chaotic. Um, And then uh, it gets ordered through expertise from related fields, corporate governance, perhaps uh, um, self-ordering by uh, the markets, uh, demand by investors that are fiduciaries themselves, um, or perhaps the government. Now, um, going towards a long-term perspective, how do you see the industry evolving in these matters? So we see clearly um, uh, regulation catching
2: up. Uh, so in Europe, we just had MICA being uh, announced, um, which is a top-down view on on, on regulation, things like disclosure, uh, supervision, and so on. Uh, of course, also here in the US, there's lots of talk. And um, uh, in many other jurisdictions, uh, Japan is catching up. Uh, Singapore is clearly active. So there's a lot of talk about regulation. Uh, in my mind, um, there's you say that there's a, a couple of things around these discussions which um which do not hold in this particular space uh so on the one hand, yes, we can learn from from corporate governance we can learn from what I call investment governance, which is the governance of outsourced constructs in the investment space if you think about fund governance and so on uh we can think about um you know governance of commons uh, which we can apply to blockchain uh of course but um we cannot solve, let's say, with simple recipes. Uh, and I, I hear these, I hear these lines, you know, same risk, same regulation. Uh, in my mind, that doesn't uh, do justice to the challenge that we have. Um, so we're going to see more regulation. That regulation uh, may not be a fit uh, for this space, especially if you look at DeFi, decentralized finance. Uh, if you look at Web3 developments, which are going to be very difficult to be governed by the thoughts that we have out there now because they are decentralized literally all over the world. So I'm not even speaking about jurisdictions and, and legal issues there. Um, uh, but anyway, that is, that is going on. Um, the, the second thing, I think that investors need to understand uh, much better uh, what they're looking at, what they're investing in and take their own responsibility as well. And, and so I've been asked, I've been asked uh, you know, should I invest in this, yes or no? And uh, I'm a CFA charterholder. And I would say part of the CFA curriculum says you need to have a basis for your investment recommendation. Now, we know that within the crypto and blockchain space, um, there's no such thing as equity research or hardly. Risk management looks very, very differently. Research uh, in general is, is, is weak. Uh, and so um, uh, we don't necessarily completely understand the behavior of these instruments in portfolios other than increasingly it's a risk on asset. Um, and so the basis for the investment recommendation is actually very weak. So I think that investors need to educate themselves, and um, and one way of that, you know, one thing that can help investors is is governance, is the representation of investors in entities or directly into protocols. Uh, let's say that uh, that that ensures that their rights uh, is be are being respected. Let's say. And so governance is increasingly going to be a requirement by investors in my mind. And, uh, and the third thing, again, if you are a serious player in this space, this is exactly what you want to project to your investors. Uh, what is the reason why you can trust me? So recently I was asked by an entrepreneur saying, I, wanted, uh, you know, I want to launch an exchange, a crypto exchange. What should I focus on? I said, well, faster, cheaper, better than anybody else. That's a difficult one because it's already being done many times. Why don't you try to project trust? Trust me because, right? And uh, and he was scratching his head because he doesn't understand necessarily, coming from the traditional trading world, what that means. Uh, but I think that those mechanisms, uh, I call them also behavioral mechanisms, are going to be seen uh, much more. Uh, and I think that, especially in a decentralized world, uh, in crypto and blockchain. Um, this kind of analysis going into governance considerations, i.e. behavioral uh, considerations, I think those are going to be important to be able to uh, invite trust.
1: And, and that's an important cultural shift because as I understand the history of uh, cryptocurrency, the whole idea was to do away with trust, yeah. and hence the paradox, and perhaps the growth of the sector. Yeah. Coming back to, well, you know, we can do crypto, we can do DeFi, but we need layers of trust. Um, And and that's an interesting lesson, at least to me. So we talked quite a bit about risks and how scary this space is, but it's blooming with opportunities, perhaps, right? So um, if you were to advise, and and that you do, um, uh, investors, either institutional or high net worth uh, individuals, where in this panoply of Instruments and technologies. Do you see the most value?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there are, of course, different ways of investing in the space, and uh, and they all have an element of gambling, uh, or let's say, an all an element of almost like you know, if you want to phrase it positively, which I like, to do uh, venture capital kind of notion of things. If you look at it, uh, different ways of investing in this. Where is the most value? If you run a strategy where you trade currencies, you know top five, top 10 currencies on a momentum basis, it's not dissimilar from uh, running a currency fund, uh, a regular currency fund, right? And so that could be something where you trade on volatility and uh, that you can make money on. Um, uh, as I say, there's very little research that underpins those currencies. And so that is a big risk. Uh, the most value in the industry which, um, which is almost also a recipe against recession, if you will, uh, is where you invest in the real economy. And so companies that uh, build infrastructure uh, based on blockchain to transfer value, be it payment systems, be it uh, transfer of risk or transfer of other information, because that's what the key proposition of blockchain is, uh, in a trusted way, trusted technology, um, with increased efficiencies and, and what have you, that is where value is created. Uh, and that is where uh, I would see, and I'm also personally invested myself in these, in the, in these kind of projects where I see um, uh, a big upside. And, um, and then it becomes you know, uh, choosing the right project, of course, which requires uh, some analysis and some due diligence, again, FTX. Uh, and understanding uh, you know, where you invest in. But infrastructure um, for the world at large, right, because you can apply this in all kinds of processes, that is where I see uh, real value, and that is real economy. That's an IT project, if you will, like any other fintech or IT.
1: So uh, am I correct in uh, hearing that uh, it's mostly on the back office of uh, organizations rather than the exciting uh, trading uh, nfts and, and monkeys unless you're into a momentum <laughs> trader right perhaps momentum trader can, can can make markets in this in these assets but am I correct in judging that
2: I think um, so the, the quick answer is yes uh, the, the, the longer answer is uh, also and so uh, clearly infrastructure uh, back office if you will um, Um, why I say also is that blockchain and crypto allows us to develop whole new business models. Uh, One model that I can highlight is, uh, we call, you know, in Web3 we call that, we have decentralized communities which are powered by tokens that uh, otherwise would not attract capital. Let's say, and now they get a token economy around services and there's a community that can grow around it. Um, These are new business models that that are coming up uh, let's say, and, and that is on the front end, if you will. That's new business development. These are new, uh, as I say, new models, new people being invited into these communities that participate, uh, let's say, uh, they could have uh, token value, they could have non-token value uh, in there. And so um, there's also a lot of opportunity there. Yeah.
1: Fascinating. So it's, it's Security Station 2.0, in yes. my simplistic uh, mind, but it can, so so many uh, issues out there, yeah. and and give investors opportunities for exposure to all kinds of interesting assets. Yeah. Um, now, one of the um, um, the objections that we have had uh, concerning many of these technologies is the intensive use of energy. Yes. Uh, um, I was wondering if these uh, tokens specifically do they have the same issue, or are there ways to to have more reasonable level of yeah. energy consumptions.
2: Yeah, yeah, excellent point. Um, so the, there are different consensus mechanisms on, um, that, that support transactions over a blockchain. And uh, the most well known that we, you know, the, the best known is, is proof of work, which we use for Bitcoin and for Bitcoin mining. And uh, and that is a very energy intensive process. Now we have seen last year an open heart operation at on ether when they move from proof of work to proof of stake. In my mind, it was a fantastic accomplishment. Uh, the coins were live, and at the same time, they moved away from proof of work. Uh, as a result, 99.99% less energy use. And so anybody who launches any uh, protocol today um, is, is, is moving to, or let's say, will, they will never implement a proof of work uh, concept anymore. They would go for other consensus mechanisms like proof of stake or others. Um, proof of stake has been around already for quite some years. Uh, in fact, uh, including with Tezos, which was uh, uh, an early an early developer there. And so, um, I think that the, the energy use is going to drop in that sense. That's one thing uh, with protocols uh, growing out. Um, the second thing with energy use is that uh, what is the you know what do you compare right? And if we start using infrastructure in and infrastructure in companies, um, then we may well realise that we will use less energy in order, you know, than traditional structures that we have in place. And so uh, I think there's an argument there, and I think that the research, there's research going on uh, that shows these things. There's some excellent research in Cambridge at the Judge Business School that uh, they publish on on this material. Uh, and the third thing, which is also very interesting, is that. Uh, If I speak to my friends in the industry, they are very well aware that uh, ESG and these kind of considerations play a huge role. Now, if you think about the impact of carbon tax, if your protocol would be taxed for carbon, for the use of carbon, then all of a sudden the cost structure of using a protocol would go uh, sky high. And so um, uh, those people who are developing those um, layer one and layer two and other protocols, they know very well That this is coming, and uh, and they know that the success of a protocol lies in the adoption. And so, if the adoption is low because carbon tax is being implemented, uh, because you have a you know technology which eats too much energy, then uh, you know nobody is is benefiting from that. So, I think overall this is a well-known issue. Um, uh, I think we've seen some, as we call in the blockchain, some fud. FUD uh, noise around this uh, around this thing, but um, uh, I think this is going into the right direction.
1: Sounds sounds uh, to me like this is a problem that is the, the marketplace is well positioned to yes to address yes. Um, and it's very interesting how uh, traditional and blockchain are merging in many ways. Take the issue of of Silicon Valley Bank. We talked about trust. Yeah. Uh, as an issue in the crypto world, but it's also very issue in the old-fashioned world of banks and banks. Uh, Ron, do you you have any views on what happened in that instance? Uh,
2: So, it's been a bit, what happened there was a bit, I mean, further away from me I've seen, of course, uh, the reports on the interest rate mismatch, uh, the absence of proper risk uh, management, um i think that you know from a governance perspective that's also something that should be looked at and i'm certain people are looking into that Uh, so i'm not knowledgeable about the case per se uh, but i think the question of how do i uh, project institutional trust to my stakeholders is something that needs a lot more analysis and not just saying okay we have a few people on the board they got great resumes that's not enough Uh, We need to be transparent. And I think not only do we need to be transparent, I think we're living in a time of radical transparency and increasingly so uh, uh, with all the technologies that we know. And so we need to use those technologies to project trust uh, to to investors, to counterparties, clients, and so on. Uh, And if I would be uh, in the the board of a bank, uh, which I'm not at the moment, then I would certainly think, okay, what can we do in terms of taking measures to uh, prove that people can trust us, and uh, and not just uh, make assumptions there, um, uh, that will be uh, in my mind a competitive edge of one bank over another.
1: Are Are you thinking about some particular types of disclosures that that would provide a better view of uh, the workings of the board or the company, or is it both, yeah. or is it something else? Yeah. So. Um, uh, so being
2: also an ethicist, uh, I think that we can start to use uh, a lot more the models that we know from, uh, uh, from moral philosophy, from ethics, that help us um, make decisions, which on the one hand uh, lower ethical risks on the one, and on the other hand support um, uh, living up to our own aspirations. So if you ask these boards, they all have fantastic aspirations. And, uh, and I think we can support that with, uh, with tools which we know uh, are there, which so far have not been uh, used. Now, once you do this, you can actually communicate to your stakeholders and say, you know, we have these uncertainties. Um, this has been the thought process. We've been speaking to all the stakeholders. We took it all in. And this is now the, uh, the decision that, we, that we're making. Uh, instead of keeping it secret, if you will, and then once a year, you, you come out with, a, with an annual report um, uh, or some reports in the interim, let's say. So disclosure have, has their own problem, problems, right? Data is, is actually last year's data. People can't read these reports unless you're a CFA chart holder almost, right? Um, and so disclosures are not cutting it. And I think that we, uh, that we can implement a couple of tools in our day-to-day decision-making in executive and non-executive levels uh, that can uh, that, that can yeah, project a lot of trust to uh, investors um, almost on an ongoing basis um, without necessarily inviting uh, legal liability uh, because we can say, listen, this is sort of what we do. Um, and uh, of course, legal scholars will have, a, have to have a view on that as well. Uh, but the old way of reporting and disclosing, uh, I think that is... Uh, has been proven that it's not enough. I mean, even with SVB going down uh, and, and other banks going, the first Repu- First Republic not going down, uh, many of the banks uh, are still in the red uh, in terms of market uh, movement over the last 24 hours. I.e., uh, investors look at this sector and say, I don't necessarily believe that the measures taken are enough, uh, right? And even if it's just psychological, maybe there may be enough capital around. Um, uh, it means that, uh, that, that boards of banks and also regulators need to think about other ways of projecting trust uh, uh, than they do now. Yeah,
1: that, that, That's amazing. I wouldn't be surprised if industry leaders wouldn't look at you with your, interse- you know, your, your intersection of economics, ethics, and understand- deep understanding of the technology. We have so many questions that are vital for yeah. financial markets. Yeah. So thank you so much. Uh, to making time in your busy schedule to Thanks, share your thoughts with us.
0: Thank you so much. You've been listening to Andres Finelli in conversation with Ilko Fiori, co founder and managing partner of Alpha Governance Partners. I'm Mike Wahlberg, and this is B, guiding assets.